Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Thursday, September the 15th, 2022. It is currently 1048 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. And all I can say, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, Sometimes you swing, sometimes you uh, sometimes you swing and hit, sometimes you swing and miss. But if you don't try, you never will succeed. Okay, I'm going to stop with all the clichés. I'm going to just throw out all the clichés, but I I tried something. I, I one person, one person emailed me and they they got it. They got it. They're like, "I know what you were trying to do. You think you're so clever." Okay, ha, 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 I'm on to your game kind of uh, email. And, and I'm glad at least someone out there caught what I was doing. I think most people did not. And um, that's okay. That's on me. I could have been, I could have been just more, instead of trying to be clever, I could have just been really upfront in what I was trying to do. Let me explain. Welcome, well, first of all, welcome everyone to another episode of our series Bible study exercise where we try to get you, yeah, you, you right there off the couch to a table with a Bible, with a notebook, with a pencil, and a lot of reference tools to actually study the Bible for yourself. This is not the kind of podcast where I want you just sitting, on, laying on the couch listening to me. I want you studying the Bible for yourself. So how do we do this? We give you homework, assignments. There's curriculum. We try to get you involved. Some people love that. Some people are resistant to to jump in, but that's okay. That's okay. We're going to keep doing this because I believe if there's one thing needed more than ever right now in the church is people actually studying the Bible instead of all the other things that we are being distracted by. But we're working on the book of Amos in the current Bible study exercise series. And this is part 15. So we've been doing a lot of work. I think it's part 15. I, I, let me make sure I, ver- make sure I verify that. I don't want to say thing that's something, it's hard to believe that it's been that many parts. Has it really? Yeah, part, yeah, this is part 15. That is insane. I'm going to look at this. Yeah, okay, wow. I was like, wait a minute, we have, have I recorded that many episodes? Yeah, that many, we've been talking about Amos for a very long time, all right? So hopefully something we have done has been somewhat beneficial. I hope that it has. But here's where we are. If you remember, uh, we're using the comprehensive book Bible study method. And that Bible study method is a combination of four other methods, the book background, the book survey, the chapter analysis, and the book synthesis. We've reached the kind of the chapter analysis. And if you've ever read the book of Amos, you know what you're immediately confronted with. You're confronted with chapter one, obviously. And chapter one, well, let's just say there's a lot of this. There's a lot of this. I'll just begin in Amos chapter one, verse three. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof because they have threshed Gilead with threshing instruments of iron. But I will send a fire into the house of Heziel, which shall devour the palaces of Ben-Hadad. I will break also the bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitants of the plain. And I'll just jump down to verse six. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will turn away. And then we have uh, verse nine. For three transgressions of Tyrus, you, you have these 
nations mentioned. You have something that they did wrong, and then you have a punishment given to them. So you can read it, and it may not be, how can we say it, the most interesting. You're like, okay, who's the nation? You may have a couple of questions, and you may try to read a couple of things, but it, it, it may not really just... It may not immediately get you way invested and get you super interested. So I heard a possible, I heard an opportunity. I heard, oh, okay, I can utilize this to create a situation where people will have to really dig into the text, will really have to look up a whole lot of cross-referencing, and will become even more familiar with places and names and people, and that this will stick with us even more. And what was that opportunity? Well, we were reviewing, listening, utilizing a message of Dr. J. Vernon McGee as he was working through the book of Amos. Now, remember, through the Bible ministries have given us permission to use their content. I don't even have to use it in more of a reviewing way, which the fair use law would allow me to do, but I but I can just play it if I want. But we were working through it. And then he would look at some of these judgments in Amos 1 and go, oh, that was fulfilled, and it was a fulfilled, and we read about it where? In 2 Kings. And then there's names like Ben-Hadad that's mentioned there in chapter, um, in verse uh, four, Amos chapter one, verse four. But I will send a fire into the houses of Haziel, which shall devour the palaces of Ben-Hadad. And I'm like, Ben-Hadad, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Ben-Hadad lived before Amos ever spoke these words. I was dead before Amos ever spoke these words. Wait, 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 wait. Is this a prophecy or is this a reminder? Wait, okay, wait, the order is reversed. So I, I saw that there was an opportunity. I could ask questions that are should be a reasonable question, right? When, when you're like, no, this was fulfilled in 2 Kings, and you realize that 2 Kings covers a period of about 300 and something years, and it's the, the early part of 2 Kings covers a period of time before Amos ever spoke these words, and now we're going to go back to that book for possible fulfillment of Amos's words. I got to then make sure that those sections actually, that they're referring to things that happened after Amos spoke, not before, because this would not be prophecy. This would be a reminder. So I'm like, I'm going to use this as an, I'm going to ask the question. I'm going to put forth the problem. By doing so, everyone will go, oh, I'm going to look this up. I'm going to look this up. And everyone will start digging into the chapter. And by the time we're done, hopefully they will retain more from the chapter than they would have if I never would have presented said problem. That was really my goal. Now, I don't know if I accomplished that. At least one person, like, I know what you were trying to do. You were trying to get us to really dig into the chapter so that, because, because they admitted that just reading it, they were like, okay, yeah, okay, this, okay, they got judged, 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 they got, okay. And not like really dig into it by creating a little bit of, hey, 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 what about this? Then people are more like, I'm going to, I'm going to find the answer. I'm going to prove, I'm going to prove this. And then you start retaining more. It was an, an attempt to get people to really dig into the chapter. Did I succeed? I don't know. Was it the smartest thing to do? I don't know. But I love to do that because I, I to me, and, and I, I can think about in, in so many different situations, when someone presents to me like something, it's almost like a mystery, right? Okay, what about this? 
then I got to find all the clues. I got to try to put this clue together with this clue. Okay, wait a minute. So yeah, that name is mentioned here, but when did this happen? When did Damascus get judged? Okay, I look up Damascus. Wait, Assyrians. Wait, which king? What year? Okay, what other names are mentioned? This name is mentioned. When did they die? When did they live? Okay, okay. When, what, what, Amos was around 750 BC. Okay, well, that, that falls after. Okay, and just try to put the pieces together. Now, I did this live from the pulpit uh, last night at Victory Baptist Church. We had a small group of people, but you, if you could hear the people were, I mean, they had dictionaries, they had Bible handbooks, they were looking everything up. They were digging into the chapter far more than they would have if I would have just, hey, Amos chapter one, here we go. And I just gave a little bit of information. Hopefully they will retain it. Hopefully everyone who dug in to try to answer the question I put forth will retain more than those who just like, I disagree. I don't. Clearly, it's prophecy. And for everyone who dug in to try to prove that, I hope they retained. Was it a good idea? Only you can tell me if it was a good idea. But I've I've tried to make it very clear that through uh, for this entire series, Bible study exercise, where we now have how many episodes are here? Three hundred and thirty. In 330 episodes, actually, there's more. I don't think I've got them all loaded uh, into the Church One app. I'm looking at the Church One app. I've got to continue go back and finding older ones and getting them placed there. But if you go back, every 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 study, every chapter, every book, it's, we've ta- we've approached it in a very unique way because I think every book, every chapter has to be viewed has to be approached in a unique way. I don't think there should be a template. Because the chapters present certain challenges. When you just read this, you're like, okay, here's a nation, they did this, they got judged. Here's a nation, they did this, they got judged. Here's a nation, they did this, did this and got judged. I'm still trying to figure out why the order is reversed. In the other prophetic books, the prophet starts with Israel, then moves to the other nations. Amos starts with the other nations and then goes to Israel. And it's kind of like, why? I presented a possible theory last night at the end of the sermon. I haven't received any emails in regards to that kind of hypothesis I put forth. Um, I, I love waiting for other people to respond. A lot of times I will throw something out and then wait for the response. Wait, 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 wait. And then when no one responds, I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm going, I'm going to, I'm going to go about it this way. I'm going to get a response. I'm going to generate one. So that was the goal last night and yesterday. Because immediately when J. Vernon McGee mentioned Second Kings, I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Second Kings covers a period of time that definitely came before Amos. Uh, it does include time that came after. Are we sure we know exactly when these things occurred? Now, just remember, I can go find commentaries that would put forth arguments about, wait, wait, no, that's not when that occurred. No, wait, that's not when that occurred. And they would look to other possible fulfillments that could be problematic. But I think we did a pretty decent job of trying to find the clues within text to be able to identify time frame to say that at least the judgment on Damascus or Syria, the judgment on Gaza or Philistia, the Philistines, and the judgment on Tyrus, all of those, or Tyre, all of those occurred, um, all of those judgments occurred after Amos gave his prophecy, not before. I think we were able to do a relatively good job in proving that. So, First, I'm going to give you an assignment, and then we're going to do a little work in chapter two this morning. Are you ready? Your assignment is simple. I want you to demonstrate the judgment on Edom, 
and the judgment on Ammon, the judgment on Edom and Ammon. I want you to, to, first of all, is there a biblical account of the fulfillment of said judgment? If so, where is it recorded? Okay. And when did it occur? And I want you to ver I want you to look at like two or three sources to just see if there's basically universal agreement or if there's major disagreement. All right. That's your, that's your assignment for today. Very simple. Some of you've probably already done this, but when was the, when did the judgment come upon Edom? Right. He's going to send fire upon T-Man, uh, uh, and devour the palaces of Basra. When did those things occur? Is there a biblical account of the fulfillment of it? And, 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 does it fit the timeline? Does it, does it make sense? Does it come after Amos said this? And the same thing with Amon. All right. And, uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, there, there's a lot more we could look at that, but I just want you to finish those last two because I think it's very, very important. And if you have any, I still would like to get your theory. And I know it's speculation, but why do you think Amos starts with the other nations, then moves to Israel? Why start with that? What, like, what, what's the, what's, what is he trying to accomplish there? Is there, is there some kind of significance to the fact that the order is everyone, everyone acknowledges the order is switched, but nobody seems to have any clue why. There's got to be a reason why. All right. But we're going to go back to Dr. J. Vernon McGee and we're going to go to chapter two because guess what? We have in chapter two, we have the same thing showing up again for three, uh, uh, Amos chapter two, verse one, thus saith the Lord for three transgressions of Moab and four. Okay. We're, we're getting, we have the same phrase up. We have the same phrase. We have the same structure. So we have the same danger in chapter two that we're like, okay, I get it. And they, this is a nation. They did bad. Here's the punishment. This is the, okay. Okay. Give me to something. No, 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 no. I want us to really try to make sure we're getting something from these chapters. All right. So there's an explanation. <laughs> I, I don't, is it an apology? I don't know. I still think I did the right thing because, because I think people would have moved past these chapters so fast and not retain much, but having to go back and dig in, oh, wait a minute, I looked this up. Wait, okay, I thought it was this. Okay, wait, just that little bit of doubt and confusion. I, 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 oh, this is my own personal opinion. I think doubt and confusion are great tools to lead to greater learning. I think the more you doubt and confuse, the more learning that comes from it because, because first it humbles you a little bit, right? It humbles you. It makes you question your, your conclusion. And then it challenges you to prove what you thought. I think you come out stronger, but I know that's not typically the way preaching is done. Preaching is basically this is this. This is when it happened. Don't question anything. Move on. This is this is when it happened. This is the reference. Don't question anything. Move on. And everybody just writes it in their notes and then forgets it by the time they get home for lunch. I I, I like to I like to do something different, but you can tell me. So are you ready, Dr. J. Vernon McGee? <laughs> All right. Someone, someone who obviously does not appreciate what I instead of saying thank you. Thank you for really making me dig into the text. Thank you for helping me retain Amos chapter one. Thank you for, for doing so much that I'll never forget Amos chapter one as long as I, it'll be 20 years from now and I'll be sitting in some church and they mention Amos chapter one and I'm just going to start laughing and go, man, I know this chapter all because of that weird podcast called Theology Central. No, 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 no. I'm not getting thank yous. 
I'm not getting appreciation. I'm not getting anything, but I am getting this. All I have to say is Tiglath-Pileser all along because they kept saying, no, no, that that's the person who brought that judgment. It was Tiglath-Pileser. That, that's who did it. That's who did it. That's who did it. Therefore, it fits the time frame. It, it, it's prophecy. End of story. Well, okay, yeah. You, you, you wanted to be so dogmatic instead of allowing the process to take its place so that you could be, well, you could learn something. But no, no appreciation. I understand. I understand. Tilgath Pileser, if I could ever say his name correctly. All right. What a name. Tilgath. Come here. Tilgath. What are you doing out? Tilgath. Come here. All right. P- Pileser. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Okay. Just an interesting name. All right. There you go. Here we go. I don't know what's getting ready to happen now, but I'm, look, if, if Dr. J. Vernon McGee says anything that I'm like, ah, oh, I can use that to really get dig in the text. I'm going to use it, okay? I'm going to use it. And what some of you are like, I'm not going to fall for you. Don't, it's not a game. I'm trying to get you to understand the, te- the text more. But okay, here we go. Now, that brings us down to chapter 2. And we see the Moabites and God's judgment of the Moabites in the first three verses. Then we turn to the nation Israel. And that will reverse the method that the other prophets used later on. They always would mention God's judgment of Israel, and then they would mention the other nations that were surrounding them. But Amos takes up these other nations first, and then he'll mention the nation Israel. And the judgment against them will be greater. And the reason for that is quite obvious. That is that privilege always creates responsibility. Privilege creates always responsibility. That is, the more light that you have, the more responsible that you are to God. I believe that, very frankly, you and I today are more responsible to God than the people in Russia are that are denied Bibles, that are not hearing the Word of God at all, We are more responsible than they are. We today like to sit in judgment of these other nations that are round about us. But have you ever stopped to think the tremendous responsibility that you and I have today, the privilege we... I'm going to stop right here. Now, once again, he mentions the reversal of the order, but he doesn't really have... I mean, is I, I don't even... I, is the solution, like the reason the order is reversed because with privilege comes responsibility. That doesn't, so he starts with the other nations. Then he spends all of his time on this. I, I don't know. That doesn't work. But I, so you, I still want to know your theory on why the order is reversed. But again, and you're like, I don't know, but speculate. All right. Speculate. All right. I, I, I gave mine last night at the end of the sermon and, uh, there, there was some discussion about it after church, but, um, I don't know if anyone has a, a we'll put it this way. No one has given me a better idea, okay? So, but I'm going to go with his concept here. Privilege brings responsibility. With privilege, with great, with great privilege comes great responsibility. I think that that preach is good. I think that teach is good. I think it makes for a good sermon. I just don't know if we really believe that in practicality. I mean, look at the 
Look at Christians. Look at the church in 2022. I mean, just look at it. I mean, we have access to basically everything that's been ever written in church history at the fe- on our phones. We have millions of sermons available on our phone. We have we have every kind of Bible study tool available on our phone. So much of all of this just right there on our phone for free. We have more information available to us than at any point in the history of the church. Right? We, I mean, the average Christian today, you don't even need seminary. You've got basically all the seminaries in the history of Christianity on your phone for crying out loud. We've got so much privilege. So how great is our responsibility? Well, look at the church. And this is what I see. We have all of this privilege and we spend most of our time not worried about our failure to meet up our responsibility, but we spend all of our time yelling and screaming about what the world is doing and how they're in sin, and we can't seem to see our own failure and our own lack of meeting our own responsibility. I think it preaches good. Hey, with privilege comes responsibility. Okay, well, in the scenario of popular culture, then who has the greater privilege? It's the church. We're saved. We have the word of God. We have all of this information, and we spend most of our time looking out going, can you believe what Disney did? Can you believe this? Can you believe FX and Disney and Hulu has this animated show about a demon? Oh, man, it's making way for the Antichrist. And we yell and scream about everything the world is doing. Well, if if privilege brings responsibility, maybe we should look at what we're doing with our privilege. I mean, I'm just, just a thought. I know it's not really the focus here, but he wants to go there. All right, let, let's just see what he does with chapter 2. We say of having the Word of God, and we thank God for that, and we boast of the fact that we have the Bible and all of that. Yes, but my friend, what are you doing about it? That's the important thing today. Are you doing anything about helping get out the Word of God today? We have a greater responsibility than any world ruler that's ever been that never heard the gospel. Now in chapter 2, the Moabites, beginning with verse 1, Thus saith the Lord for three transgressions of Moab and for four. And that is the prophet's way. And this man Amos, I consider him a great preacher. They broke the mold after they made him. There's just one of him. He uses unusual expressions. He says, not for three and not for four. Well, how many? Well, he could list a great many. This is his way of saying there were many transgressions. But he's specific with each one. He says, I will turn away its punishment because he burned the bones of the king of Edom into lime. Now, that's a strange thing to say, is it not? The judgment against Moab is for injustice. In fact, for an awful spirit of revenge. After the. I just got an idea. I, I, I know we've done this in part. I know we've kind of done this a little bit, but maybe now we could emphasize, since, since what we've been focusing on, and we still need to focus on when do, when does these things, like when, when this, the judgments that are pronounced against these nations, when do they occur and do we have a record of it? That's been our focus, right? That's kind of what I try to make the focus because that to me is the most challenging, right? Wait a minute. 
Are we sure that passage is the is the fulfillment of this? Wait, when was that? When when did when when did it occur? Wait, when did Amos speak the words? That that to me, I think, gets us into the text. But I think it would be interesting to go through each one of these nations and simply summarize what exactly they're being judged for. Like he says here, injustice. He's he's saying that this is injustice, that their crime is injustice. And just let's write down, just summarize. Okay, so what was it with Damascus or Syria? What, simply put, what was their judgment? I don't need it to be described just to summarize it so that we can say, like, we can either do it in one word, you know, injustice, cruelty, whatever, uh, slavery, whatever, whatever the case may be. We, we can just go like one, like, like maybe, maybe you can do it in one word and you can use two or three words, but just try to summarize them to the very, like we get to the very core of what these nations did that was bringing about the judgment. All right. I, Cause I think there's a, I think there's a reason why I, 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 th- I have in my mind a possible reason I want to do that. I have a, have a possible reason, uh, that I, 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 that we could utilize this. So whoever can be first today, if you can do this today, if you can't, whenever, just go through each nation, or Damascus, or you can just put Syria, Damascus, the capital of Syria, Philistia, Philistines, whatever, Tyre, whatever, and just, just simply put, so what, the judge, judgment came upon them for, and then make sure it's simple and it's a summary, and then we can have a list of everything that these nations are being judged for. I think that could come into play here. I think. I think. Now, we still, I still want you to focus on figuring out when these things occur and where are the fulfillments of it, but now I really want us to have this list. Because I think there's something we can, I've, I've got an idea. I've got an idea. Now, my ideas, as we've already seen, don't, are not always good, but I, I, I've got an idea. All right, here we go. A man has been killed. The Edomites were their enemies. And after they had destroyed, that is, had got a victory over the Edomites and had killed the king, you'd think that would be it. But they even burned the bones of the king of Edom into line. That's carrying their revenge, that revengeful spirit, even farther than it should be carried. Is it injustice or is it revenge, a vengeful spirit? Like, like I, 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 I think it's going to be interesting to see how people summarize them. Like, because he said it's injustice, but now it sounds more like that it was because of a vengeful spirit. God says, because of that, but I will send a fire upon Moab, and it will devour the palaces of Kiriath, and Moab shall die with tumult, with shouting, and with the sound of the trumpet. And I will cut off the judge from the midst of it, and I will slay all its princes with him, saith the Lord. You notice God says here that Moab shall die with tumult, that is, they go out with a big bang, and that will end the nation. And it's interesting that this proud nation was brought to extinction by Nebuchadnezzar later on, and you haven't seen a Moabite since then. But isn't it interesting that out of this heathen country there came that gentle, lovely, and beautiful girl 
by the name of Ruth that became the wife of. Now he doesn't give uh, he doesn't give us a a reference. Does he? Uh, hang on, I'm going to look something up here. He, and all of a sudden, he runs off to Ruth. I understand everybody always wants to do that. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but you kind of like, well, wait a minute. Could you uh, could you help us? Uh, let's see here. Now I'm going to go back to this chapter. See here. I'm going to go back to go to the next section, chapter two. All right, Moab, let's see here. They have Jeremiah 48, 41 in this commentary. Kirioth is taken, and the strongholds are surprised, and the mighty men's hearts in Moab, that they shall be as the heart of women in her pangs. The fire that came on Moab was in war. The trumpet was blowing, and they were destroyed. Kirioth is a city. They look at Jeremiah 48, 41. Um, and then they have uh, Amos 2.3, and I will cut off the judge from the midst thereof, and I will slay the princes thereof. Uh, okay, now that doesn't, I thought they were getting ready to quote something from Second Kings. So is Jeremiah, I'm going to help you with this one. Now, I gave you two in the la- at the end of last chapter one, I did not help you with. Is Jeremiah 48.41 the f- records the fulfillment of this? Does it record the fulfillment here? Now, if so, we need a date. Compare that date to Amos's words. See if there, just make sure there's no problem. Verify, 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 and do what you can to ensure that Jeremiah 48, 41 is actually the recorded fulfillment of this. He may mention it in a minute, but now he kind of immediately, oh, Moab, Moabites. Oh, we got Ruth. Okay, I understand that, but we're, we're, we're trying to study Amos. I need to know where was this? He said Nebuchadnezzar. Okay. All right. Now, the best thing to do is look up Nebuchadnezzar and when did Nebuchadnezzar reign? All right. And we can, you can compare that to when Amos spoke and then you may be in pretty good shape right there. Just like last night, we, I gave you all the different hints and how to prove and verify and make sure of these things. All right, let's continue. Boaz, and it presents one of the loveliest books we have in the Bible. And she's in the line that leads to Jesus Christ. She's in that genealogy, by the way. And she came from Moab, of all places. They were really a heathen, pagan people with a sad and sorry beginning and just as sad but tragic end as a nation. But it reveals the fact of what the grace of God can do in the life of a believer if the believer will let him do that. But here we have the fact that we're coming now to a people that should have done better but did not do better. The the never-ending, if, if we will let God do it. If we will let God do something wonderful in life, he will. And if we don't, he won't. Then you have to say, well, so is God sovereign or am I sovereign? Does God really work all things out according to his goodwill and pleasure? Or does he only work things that he's allowed to work by us? I mean, there's there's a lot of questions we could get into there, but all right, that that's okay. That's what, I just don't know why he ran off to Ruth and instead of dealing with so when did this occur? When like the the question here is when did this occur? Do we have a record of it? That's the question. 
not hey let's go talk about let's go talk about Ruth she was a Moabitist okay that that, that this this section here has nothing to do about God's grace uh, this is all about judgment now these are the messages against the surrounding nations that is those that were around Israel now he's going to take up God's people but he begins with Judah and the first is against the southern kingdom. And he came from down there. And verse 4, I'm reading now. Thus saith the Lord for three transgressions of Judah, and for four I will turn away its punishments. Now, in other words, again, God could enumerate many for which they were guilty, but here is the chief one because they have despised the law of the Lord and have not kept his commandments, and their lies caused them to err after which their fathers have walked. Now, he says, But I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem. Now, this is saying in a very brief way what Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel took quite a few pages to say. That is, that God would judge the southern kingdom of Judah that went into Babylonian captivity, that he would judge it for what? They did not keep the commandments of God. They despised God's law. Now, Judah had the law of God and despised it. temple was down in Jerusalem. And God now judges them according to the law. Have you noticed that God never judged any of these other nations on that basis whatsoever? That he judged them for certain specific sins they committed, sins that are common to mankind today that is in sin. But the other nations did not have God's law. And therefore, they were not judged according to God's law. And he says here, I will send a fire upon Judah, and it will devour the palaces of Jerusalem. Now, you will find that again and again, he mentions, as the other prophets do, the fact that there is to be a judgment by fire. And you'll find that running actually not only through this prophecy, but you find it running through the other prophets. And when Nebuchadnezzar came, he burned Jerusalem to the ground. Absolutely burned it. Nothing left but the stones that were there. And I'm good he mentioned Nebuchadnezzar. This appears to have been fulfilled somewhere between 605 and 586 B.C., so obviously after Amos gives the prophecy. Um, and it, I think the record of this would be 2 Kings 24 and 25. You can verify whether I'm right or wrong. I believe it's 2 Kings 24 through 25. If that is incorrect, you can definitely correct me. All right? I also believe maybe... Um, Jeremiah 17, 27, Jeremiah 17, 27. I don't know if it gives the fulfillment. I think it gives some similar, like the similar words being used here by Amos. I believe that's Jeremiah 17, uh, chapter 17, verse 27. 
You can you can look those up in your cross-referencing, and again, as you work on chapter two. Of course, there were plenty of stones in that particular place. Now, that is something that he's delivering now. That is, Amos is delivering up in Bethel, and he's speaking in the king's chapel. Now, I think that probably every time he got up to speak, he'd take up one of these nations, and he would pronounce God's judgment upon it. But he gets now to Judah, and that's getting pretty close to home. Maybe a few squirmed in their pew when he mentioned Judah. But after all, the ten northern tribes and the two southern tribes were at war a great deal of the time. There were several times when they made alliances, but they only made them because of fear and of necessity to stand against a common enemy. But most of the time, why they were enemies. And therefore, when Amos gave his message of judgment against the southern kingdom, everyone was present and amened him for that, because they were in agreement that God should judge Jerusalem and Judah. But now the northern kingdom. What about the northern kingdom? Now he's going to speak to them. And beginning here with verse 6, he's speaking to the northern kingdom. And Bethel, Bethel, if you want to pronounce that way, Bethel is the capital, and the king was there, and this man was speaking in the king's chapel. We are told that later on. Wait a minute here. Okay, hang on. Um, I'm going to verify something before I say... I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. All right. Uh, Let's see. Okay, hang on. I'm going to verify something here. All right. Okay, I'm looking here. I'm looking, I'm looking. Okay, I'm looking. Make sure here, I'm going to make sure here. Look here. Okay, yeah, the first the first uh, capital of the northern kingdom was Shechem, then uh, Terza, and finally Samaria. He said the capital was Bethel. I, I think he, he obviously misspoke. Uh, the capital was not Bethel. Uh, Bethel was the chief center of worship, not the capital. That I'm not I'm not criticizing. I'm not criticizing because I, I I mess things up all the time myself, and I'll go back and listen. Like why? How did I not catch that? How did I make that mistake? So um, I don't. He 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 couldn't have meant that Bethel was the capital of the Northern Kingdom. That because immediately I was like Samaria, but then I'm like, wait a minute. I know there was a couple. I know there was a Shechem, Terza, and then and then I believe Samaria, and then Bethel becomes the. You could call it the, the, I would refer to it as the chief worship center, the capital of worship, but not the capital of the kingdom. All right. We've already seen that. And now he's going to start meddling. He's getting close at hand. It's like the old story that we heard about the preacher one Sunday morning was preaching about different sins of drinking and 
This woman sitting in the congregation, she amended him and preached about the sin of smoking, and she amended him for that, and for the sin of cussing, and she amended him for that. And finally, he got around, he began to talk about gossiping. And she says, he started meddling now. Okay. Now, I, I, once again, we keep, we keep, I keep coming back to this because we still have the interesting idea of the reverse order. The other prophets start with Israel and go to the other nations. In this case, he started with the uh, other nations and then, or, and then moved to Israel. So the other prophets start with Israel and go to the other nations. Amos reverses the order. He starts with the other nations and then moves to Israel. And we keep asking, and I keep asking you to speculate why. Now, I've already given you your, your other homework for the end of chapter one today, class. So everybody, you need to do that homework. I've also given you the assignment of going through each one of these judgments and trying to summarize exactly what they're being judged for. Don't forget that homework. But I still want you to at least speculate on why the reverse order. And because the order is just so, so interesting to me. But I can kind of picture, like if he's in Bethel, if he's in Bethel, which is the, the center of worship for them with the golden calf, Right. So if he's there and he keeps standing up, you know, it's how you try to picture where he's delivering the prophecy. Right. So if he's delivering these prophecy, did he start with the other nations simply to gather like and, and I hate to say it in a more pragmatic way, but did he do so just to to gather the crowd. Right. Hey, judgment's coming upon Syria. Amen. Judgment is coming upon the Philistines. Yay! Judgment's coming upon Tyre. Yay! It's coming upon Edom. It's coming upon the Moabites. Yay! It's coming upon Judah. Okay, yeah, I mean, we're at war with them. Yay! And now it's coming at you. Wait, what? So was it to, like, did he start with the other nations simply to, like, bring everyone in? Is that, is that possibility? Like, I don't know. I mean, it, 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 that, that's looking at it in a very pragmatic way, but it's just so interesting that the order is reversed. All the other prophets, Israel, judgment is coming. Oh yeah. And, and also in the other nations, Amos starts judgments coming upon the other nations. Oh yeah. And Israel. Now, obviously the, the bulk of the book is focused on Israel. It's just, again, such a fascinating, I still don't understand why the order is reversed, but definitely he's gone from preaching to meddling now, because now he's going to go right after, well, them. And friends, Amos is starting to meddle now. He's going to talk about his congregation that's before him. Now, it's not going to be the sins of the Moabites. This is the sin of the northern kingdom. They, too, had God's law. They had the commandments of God. They had the word of God. Now, listen to him as he speaks in verse 6, Thus saith the Lord. And may I say to you, I personally have never felt that I have any right to stand in the pulpit and speak unless I can speak on the basis of thus saith the Lord. My feeling is that that's the basis of all ministry. What is the word? Now, that's an interesting concept. 
because I, it's so good to say that, right? That I'm only going to stand in the pulpit and say, thus saith the Lord, and I'm only going to say what God has said. I think, I think everyone wants that to be the case, but I, I just don't know. I, 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 it would be how much do we say that's not thus saith the Lord? If you go back and listen to our review of J. Vernon McGee's discussion in Amos chapter one, it's not even really a review because again, we've been given permission by his ministry to use this. Um, uh, it's more just like having him walk us through it and we're just using it as a kind of a sounding board to kind of talk about these different concepts as we work through, you know, this is our 15th message in Amos as we continue to use this Bible study method on the book of Amos. So, um, but if you remember early on, especially when he dealt with chapter one, the very first part of that message was talking about the man Amos. And I'm sorry, he was adding a lot. There was just a lot he was adding in his description. He was just, there was a lot going on there. And I'm like, I don't know. Is that accurate? I, it, it just seems like he is embellishing a little bit. He's adding, he's painting a picture that I don't think the text actually paints. Well, preaching, we, in preaching, we do that all the time. You, you start taking these historical narratives and you re retell a story and there's a little bit of embellishment. There's a little bit of maybe exaggeration. Not that you're trying, but you're trying to tell the story. You're either trying to make it dramatic. You're trying to make it funny. And it's like, well, once we start doing that, we're not saying thus saith the Lord. I mean, think of how much of preaching, think of preaching, right? How much of preaching is actual just quoting scripture and how much of it is the words of the preacher? Well, when you preach a 45 minute, an hour long sermon, most of my sermons are an hour. That's a lot of my words. That's 90% my words, 95% my words. So can I say the, my preaching is thus saith the Lord. I want to believe it's consistent with thus saith the Lord. I don't think I can say it's thus saith the Lord. Amos could say thus saith the Lord because he's simply recounting the literal inspired words of God. Like if all my preaching was, was just reading Amos, then I could say thus saith the Lord, but I have to read it. Then we have to expound it, explain it. We have to try to understand it. We have to interpret it. We have to, we have to try to apply it. All of the different things that go into preaching is beyond thus saith the Lord. So, I think we want to tell the people in the pew, hey, my preach, thus saith the Lord. You know, you're not, you're not disagreeing with me. You're disagreeing with scripture. Well, you got to be careful there because they may be disagreeing with you because they have a different interpretation of scripture. That leads to, so I, I like the, this concept sounds so spiritual. You know, if you're talking to a bunch of people in preaching class, right, at a Bible college or a seminary or Bible institute, hey, guys, guys. Your preaching should be, thus saith the Lord. Amen, amen, I'm going to preach and it's going to be, thus saith the Lord. I know, I know we like that, but let's be honest, there's a whole lot of us in preaching, a whole lot of us, and that's usually not a good thing, but I mean, it's just kind of the way it works, but all right. I know what he's trying to say, I just don't know how that, sometimes we say things that sound good, but in practice, they don't really show up. God have to say, thus saith the Lord. Now listen to him here. For three transgressions of Israel, and for four, I'll not turn away its punishment. But there are more than that, and believe me, he mentions more than that. Now he's going to deal actually with the Mosaic law. 
he's not dealing here with the commandments as he did with Judah, but he's dealing with these commandments that have to do with a man's everyday life. Now, first of all, he says, "...because they sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes." Now, the interesting thing is that a great deal is said here about the poor. The ten tribes in the north now, they had the law, but they were committing the sins of the nations that were round about them. Fact of the matter is, we'll see that the very people that God put out of that land, why, they were committing the same sins. Now, Okay, now, I don't want to get too distracted because we're in Amos, but he keeps bringing up these kind of little side things. And I understand why he's doing it, right? You bring up these little side perspectives or things, almost in a way of application. And I under, I understand that. Sometimes, remember, your focus on application can actually distract people from the text instead of leading people to the text. And they just remember your application. They don't remember the text. And if all they do is learn application and don't learn the text, then they, I mean, what people need is the text more than our applications. But I know in preaching, you got to try to make it practical. You got to try to make it relatable. So um, I, I think that there there's some very important issues here. But I, 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 well, do do I want to go there? Do I want to go there or not? Do I want to go there or not? I'm going to back this up just a little bit. I think hopefully I didn't go too far. All right, here we go. On the basis of thus saith the Lord, my feeling is that that's the basis of all ministry. What does the Word of God have to say? Thus saith the Lord. Now listen to him here. For three transgressions of Israel, and for four, I'll not turn away its punishment. But there are more than that, and believe me, he mentions more than that. Now he's going to deal actually with the Mosaic law. He's not dealing here with the commandments as he did with Judah. But he's dealing with these commandments that have to do with a man's everyday life. Now, first of all, he says, "...because they sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes." Now, the interesting thing is that a great deal is said here about the poor. The ten tribes in the north now... They had the law, but they were committing the sins of the nations that were round about them. Fact of the matter is, we'll see that the very people that God put out of that land, why, they were committing the same sins. Okay, I'm just, I'm going to go ahead and I wanted you to hear it again, but I'm going to go ahead and at least pursue this line of reasoning here. I hope it doesn't take us too far, too far from Amos, but I think this is important. Whenever you, this, because... Remember, within evangelical Christianity, within evangelical Christianity, we sell an idea that I'm very, I've become more and more opposed to. Now, whenever I say this, people lose their minds. Longtime listeners know what I'm getting ready to say. Preachers stand up and say that when you become a Christian, you're a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. And they say that as if it's true 
practically that everyone becomes a Christian. Everything is new. The old is completely gone. You're a new creature. And that is supposedly true practically. The only problem is we all know practically it's not even anywhere close to true because guess what everyone still has? A sinful nature. So we are a new creature. There's a couple of ways of looking at that, and I've expounded that chapter multiple times. One, that's the way we are to view people. We are to view, when someone becomes a Christian, I don't hold them, I don't don't keep bringing up all of their mistakes and all their problems. I see that they're a new creature. The old is gone, is all new. I see them in a practical way through the lens of what is true positionally. Positionally, they're a new creature. Positionally, the old is gone. Positionally, because they have the imputed righteousness of Christ. The imputed of righteousness of Christ makes them holy, makes them righteous, makes them without sin because their sins have been forgiven. Practically, they're still a sinner. But I am to view, so on one hand, it refers to how I am to view other believers. I am to perceive them in light of their position, not in the light of the practical reality that they are a sinner. Secondly, it speaks of the, of the positional reality. The positional reality is I'm a new creature. But we, we preach it like, hey, so basically everyone should stop sinning. Everyone should stop sinning. Well, guess what's been true of 2,000 years of church history? We continue to sin and we commit the same sins the world commits. We always try to act like we do. No, 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 no. The world has a pornography problem. Yeah, you're right. The church never does. Never, never. Not, 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 not even a slide. The world has a divorce problem. You're right. The church never has a divorce problem. The world has a, uh, you know, uh, uh, anger and, and revenge problem. You're right. People in the church never anger and, 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 and have revenge. Uh, the, the world is so divided. Yeah. Churches never divide. The, the church is, the world is so unloving. Yeah. The church is such a loving. I can go for every sin in the world. You can find it in the church. The only difference is in the evangelical world, we have this tendency to go, look, no, we're better. And, and now we don't say it that way, but we act like we're better. And then we spend all of our time pointing the finger at the bad, ugly world, condemning, 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 condemning. The problem, you know why the church continues to act like the world? Because we have the same sinful nature as the world. That sinful nature is not eradicated in salvation. We still possess it and we still sin. So guess what? It's true in the Old Testament over and over. God's people, Israel, constantly lives like, well, the ungodly people. Happens over and over and over and over and over again. At some point, you think we would get the lesson, but we're like, no, no, no. That was the Old Testament. New Testament, boom. It's different for us. 2,000 years of church history. Forget Old Testament, New Testament church. I mean, it doesn't take long to read something like 1 Corinthians. Hey, you're carnal, you're fleshly. He still refers to them as babes in Christ. So they're carnal and fleshly, but babes in Christ because we have a sinful nature. The things we want to do, we don't end up doing. The things we don't want to do, we end up doing. I know nobody wants to acknowledge that about Christianity. I know no one wants to admit that. We all go, wait, someone sinned. What do we do? Okay, we hop on the internet, we gossip and slander, then we destroy, and then we humiliate, and we publicly shame, and then we move on. Instead of like, wait, 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 guys, we're all sinners here. Okay, we don't excuse it. Now let's see what we can do to fix it, to restore it, to restore the person, and that we can move forward. But no, no one should excuse it. But there should always be like, we're sinners, you're a sinner. Let's 
Now, let's not, let's not continue to justify it. Let's work together. Let's build the person back up. But it's, it's so weird the way we're, it's like we're so shocked when it happens. But all right, let's see where he goes with this. We're all, we have to stop here in a minute. Now, first of all, you have here the mistreatment of the poor. And you'll find out that he has a great deal to say about the poor. If you turn over to the fourth chapter, verse 1, Hear the word, ye cows of Bashan, that are in the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy. And then again in chapter 5 and verse 11. All right, I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to stop at the 13-minute mark. With thir- uh, we made it 13 minutes into this. All right, here's your assignment. I'll say, here's your assignments for today. Are you ready? Your assignments are simple, class. Here's your assignments. First, you probably have already done this. At the end of Amos chapter 1, we have the judgment that comes upon Edom and the judgment that comes upon Ammon. What I, you need to find is, when did these occur? When? All right, time. Remember, about 750 BC is Amos giving the prophecy. Does it come after? Does it come before? You say, there's no way possible. At least consider the time. And do we have a biblical record of the fulfillment of those judgments? That's simple. Your property already has those down. Next, I want you to go through chapter one and chapter two, right? Chapter one and and. All the way to chapter two, you can stop and be right before he gets to Israel. So he starts with Israel in verse six. You can go to chapter all of chapter one and chapter two, verse five. List each nation, right? All the nations, not Israel, all the nations. Actually, you can even stop before. You don't even have to do this for Judah. So you can actually stop in chapter two, verse three. So not for Judah or Israel, for all the other so-called pagan nations, I want you to name the nation and then basically what was their sin that brought about judgment. Summarize it. Just summarize it into the, 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 the shortest way possible that captures the essence of what they did. Was it injustice? Was it cruelty? Was it vengeance? What, what was it? What was it? All right. So name the nation and what they did. All right. So figure out when those judgments occurred on Amon and, um, Amon and Edom, right? And is there a biblical fulfillment of it? Then go through each nation, just write down the nation and what they were being judged for. What, what, what did they do? Summarize it, simplify it, right? Then after you've done that, that, that's pretty simple and pretty straightforward. I want you to do this. I want you to go through the book of Amos quickly. It should not take you long and write down every reference where the poor is mentioned, Everywhere the poor is mentioned. And I want you to ask yourself, the emphasis placed on the poor and the treatment of the poor in Amos, have we lost that emphasis in the American evangelical church? And if so, why? Why? Does the church view the poor from a biblical perspective, or from a political ideology? I started asking this question in the 1990s. When I would hear, it's typically Christian men who I feel 
were being far more influenced by Rush Limbaugh than they were Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And sometimes when the subject of the poor or the homeless would be mentioned, these Christian men would say words that sounded like something I would hear on Rush Limbaugh. Now, whether I agree or disagree with Rush Limbaugh, I'm not telling anyone not to listen, just like I would tell them. I mean, I, I never tell people what to listen or not listen to. But I always will tell you this, that whatever you're listening to, you have to maintain the biblical ideology. You can't let them, you can't let something take over and become the ideology. And I would hear Christian men say, thing about the, say things about the poor, say things that I would be like, that's not biblical, that's political. So I want you to write down all, just write down the reference of every time the poor is mentioned in Amos and just ask yourself, that's a great amount of emphasis on the poor. Does the church in America places the same emphasis? And do you think we maintain a biblical perspective on the poor or do you believe we maintain a political perspective on the poor? There are your assignments. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. The first one, you've probably already done. The second one, well, you, you probably have done it to some level. You just may have to clean up how you describe what they're being judged for. So that should not take you long. And then the third one, you just got to find all the verses that talk about the poor and Amos. That should not take you long at all. So I'm not, I think you could probably get both of these done or all three of these done in probably 30 minutes, probably. Um, and uh, if you do, I would like to see it. If you're in the Discord channel, post it there. Or you can email me newsif at yahoo.com. We will stop there and we'll do more work on Amos chapter 2, possibly this evening, possibly this evening. Um, we got a lot of other things going on. There's always about 50 other series I'm working on. So we got a lot of other things to work on and we will get to that um, as soon as, well, we'll get to all, we'll try to get to everything as much as possible. It's our, almost noon and uh, we've already been on the air now for a little over an hour. We'll take a break and we'll see what else we can get accomplished before this day comes to a conclusion. All right, thanks for listening. Again, you can contact me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, and we will see who will be the first student to finish these today. Yesterday, we had a little bit of a race, right? A little bit of a race. Let's see who can be first today. All right, thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.